As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff, and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com forward slash league show. Hello and, and welcome to this Totally Football League show, Extra Time, in association with Paddy Power. I'm Ali Maxwell, joining you on this midweek tour of the Football League and looking ahead to an exciting weekend of action. And alongside me as ever is George Ellick. George, how are you doing this morning? Yeah, good. Good, thanks, mate. A bit, you know, the last couple of days, we're used to so many midweek games and I feel a bit cheated. We only had about six, so looking forward to the weekend <laughs> and getting back uh, back in the thick of things. Yeah, it is a busy fixture list, no doubt, as is the sign of the times that some games will fall. We know that Brentford's next two fixtures won't go ahead. We know that the same can be said for Sheffield Wednesday due to COVID outbreaks. And now that there's more regular testing, of course, there will be more positives. That's the nature of it and and therefore potentially more games postponed. But we've got a really exciting show ahead for you. And first, you've been speaking to managers behind my back again, George, which I'm not thrilled about. Yeah, I had a date with Rochdale manager Brian Barry Murphy. Um, we had a chat, a really interesting guy, a, a manager who likes to play football in a certain way at a club, have a very clear way of doing things. So I think it's a pretty interesting and a, and a good time to talk to him as well because their games at the moment are absolutely bonkers. Four all against Charlton in midweek as every goal flashed up on my phone. I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing, but um, looking forward to listening to that interview. Of course, after that, a new segment, Realistic Transfers, I think we should call it. You guys have helped us out on Twitter in the last few days, sending in uh, your thoughts on what your team needs to improve on in the transfer market in January. We've taken a look and we've come up with some suggestions for you. My favourite one that we were sent in was from Wegerlay's Wiggle, who's decided that all Blackburn need is Cedric Kipre, currently out of favour at West Brom, and Harry Pickering from Crew, and then Blackburn will be flying up the table. I don't think he's the only Blackburn fan who thinks that. <laughs> no, I certainly don't think so. More of that sort of thing later, but for now, let's talk about 
possibly the most entertaining team in the EFL right now and a player that had a proper remember the name moment this week in Quadwo Bar of Rochdale as earlier George caught up with the manager Brian Barry Murphy. So Brian your last five results at Rochdale have been pretty entertaining uh, a 4-1 defeat a 5-0 win then a 4-1 loss, then coming back from 3-0 down to draw 3 all against Crewe and then the topsy-turvy game on Tuesday night against Charlton where you led for much of the game but ended up drawing 4 all. I mean, as a manager, what's it like watching your team playing in these crazy games? Probably like the longest roller coaster the road you've ever been on. Uh, <laughs> off the back of COVID, I was kind of wincing there as you went through them because it's been so long with the weird break over Christmas because we had that um, outbreak of COVID. So, um, thinking back through the Wigan Plymouth Lincoln game seems like an eternity ago, which is almost like a contradiction this season because everything else has been so close together. It's weird. Weird. I mean, as a manager, when you're watching that, is it frustrating for you to see your team scoring goals at one end, but also unable to kind of keep the opposition at bay? Uh, not really. We we um it's it's always disappointing and the natural um tendency is to think, oh, we we had the game and, and, and we shouldn't have lost it. But kind of pre-game, we focused all season on on I suppose, without sounding cringy, proving people wrong because we lost all of our strikers, Henderson, Camps, who've been such um, a huge influence on our team. And everybody said this pre-season, well, these guys won't score any goals. So we worked incessantly hard and the lads have driven at themselves to try and prove that we can do that. So like, we're not going to have everything perfect for, for large parts of the season based on how new the group is. So to see the lads willing to take a team like Charlton on from the from the start of the game till the end of the game and not get disheartened when when the scoreline became level was 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 huge for me and you know you'll know we've got loads of stuff that we can work on going forward let's talk about the game um last night or sorry, on tuesday evening uh, and quadro bar uh, certainly stole the show with a couple of unbelievable goals a great run in the build-up for the first as well and that really announced himself to many neutrals although they may not know they may have heard of him before because when he was a trainee at crystal palace and a ball boy he actually put the ball back on the uh, on the mark for adrian to take a goal kick which made the news at the time oh, and the ball Because he, like the Palace fans, is fed up of what they perceive to be the wasting of time. He looks like an incredibly exciting 17-year-old. As a manager, did it surprise you to see what he did at Charlton? Um, no, uh, no, no, no. Just, it's kind of um, what you see is kind of what we've seen. Um, he's only been, Quadro's been with us for um, 18 months. And yeah, you referenced, every time you say to somebody, you remember that guy from that that episode at Sellers Park? <laughs> and all go, yeah, I remember that. And that was him. Um, and if you look back on that now, you'd get a small insight into what his personality is and how exuberant and expressive he is and kind of um, willing, to do thing, willing to do things that are slightly different. Um, and if I'm being honest, I said um, after the game last night, we've never had a player like him in our club. Um, and probably uh, probably forgot about Nathaniel Mendes-Lang, who we had previously. And like similarities in that ability to, um, to beat players in the final third and be totally unpredictable. Um, and our supporters used to love Mendes and it's the same now, even though we haven't had our supporters, the buzz around the whole area about what um, a young guy can do is is um, is tangible. Really. It's just, I suppose, from my point of view, in the boring sense, it's about just kind of keeping everybody calm and, and leaving him focused on his development because he has come a long way in a very short period of time. I was going to say it must be interesting for you now because you've got a 17-year-old who has proven what he can do. The fans are going to want him to start as much as possible. How are you going to approach managing that talent and nurturing him to the best of your ability? Yeah, purely, George. With uh, all along, it's been fine, um, um, separating what what the needs of the team for himself. You know, he's 
his route is unorthodox in terms of not the traditional academy upbringing where he's come through and he's developed into like um, a professional setup. He was at Crystal Palace as a very young player, but it didn't work out from an early age. And then he went to a foundation in South London, um, the Kinetic Foundation, which has been um, a real source of talent. The likes of uh, Joe Rebo, um, Adelola Lookman, those kind of players have been nurtured in those environments. Um, and he is very much of that ilk, kind of an, an outstanding individual talent. So... But in terms of his general fitness, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't have been at the level of our other lads who have been kind of in full-time training all the time. Um, so that's kind of a gradual build-up process. But he can have like those explosive moments that you saw last night on any given day, really. And we saw it at Wigan a few weeks ago. And he's obviously going to attract a lot of attention from outside sources, but from opposition teams as well. So the challenge for him will be to, um, to keep progressing uh, and for me to look after him as best I can. He's not the only talented youngster you've got in your squad. I mean, Aaron Morley is a player that I have really enjoyed watching this season, 20-year-old coming through the academy. Stephen Humphreys, who of course he brought in in the summer, who's only 23 and is leading the line very well. Are you in any way kind of concerned about being able to keep this group together? Or is that the strategy of the club? Is that the recruitment strategy? You look to get in players at a young age, move them on, um, and that's the way to kind of operate as a business. Yeah, kind of. Um, never, we, I never get the chance to be concerned about how long we can keep them together. Uh, we we would sometimes we get a little window where we can keep um, four or five or six of our own players together for a very short period of time. But you'll see that changes very quickly with the likes of Callum Camps becomes um, almost like a senior member of our squad at 23, and he's got like 250 appearances under his belt. Um, and you referenced Aaron Morley there, and he's the one that's for me luckily has gone under the radar for now. Um, but he's amassed the whole host of appearances at the age of 20. And he's like almost like a captain in waiting for us at that age. So I'm very aware of like uh, how difficult it is for us to keep that group together. And it just has to keep changing um, as it goes forward. And kind of ironic that we had that game against Crew last Saturday because they're kind of like the, um, the epiphany of what that should look like, isn't it? You know, this collection of young players. And Dave's kind of done what you just referenced. He's managed to keep those guys together for a long period of time, which was kind of which I was envious of and I thought like, what a brilliant achievement because they look like almost being real challengers within our, within our division because they've been able to do that but we won't be able to do that because we just have to move players on like Matheson or like Dan Adshed um, to just uh, keep the club afloat and, and that's probably never been more um, evident in, in, in the current climate. You mentioned at the top of the interview how you know it's you guys have got to prove people wrong. How at the beginning of the season you were maybe written off by some people. How you lost key players as well. Twenty games into the season and you sit in twentieth outside of the relegation zone on um, on goal difference. You know this is your third season managing Rochdale, but it's probably going to be the first time. Hopefully, going to be the first time you actually complete a season. How do you reflect on it so far? Yeah. Honestly, without um, people think sometimes that I, I, I'm not telling the truth when I say the, the position on the table um, doesn't concern me. We we, we do get them. I, I get the biggest buzz of, of my coaching career from seeing um, uh, the likes of the players you reference just get a, be a tiny part of their journey and move on. And then um, just focusing on our performances and the way that we do things. And I am certain that if we if we continue to do that, we will end up in a position which would be very, very good in the table. But there's no guarantees, as, as you'll know, like because of the competitive nature of League One. But from the very first minute of that, we've had kind of like um, almost two distinct elements of our club has been our own development of players, which has been really rich in the last couple of years, and um, which isn't always easy to maintain. But also with that, we've combined that with um, with spectacular success of our loan players. And what they've gone on to um, is almost as much um, a source of pride of that. We, we Robert Sanchez in the first team for Brighton playing in the Premier League after having such very good loan experience with ourselves and before that with uh, Forest Green. So, um, so that kind of 
uh, parallel journey path has been has been kind of one of the most poignant parts of what the last two and a half years has looked like for me. Before we let you go, I just want to touch on the start of play because it's something we've spoken about a lot on the podcast. You know, Rochdale under your management have been a team who like to get the ball down, who like to play football, who like to play out from the back. I'm guessing that's probably part of the reason why you can attract the calibre of loan players that you do as well. Given, I know you've said you don't care too much where you're on the table, but the, the fact remains that your your task is to keep the club in the division at the end of the day. Do you ever feel under pressure to tear up your footballing philosophy or is that the way you want to play and that's the way you, the way you want to instill it into the players? Yeah, and not, not really my style of play or, or my philosophy. It's just we have a philosophy at the club that's been that way um, for a period of time that's served us very well. So my job and my staff's job is to coach that philosophy and make sure that our players um, that come to our academy uh, are not asked to do loads of things that, that would, would feel totally alien to them. So that's one of the reasons why I feel as if our young players come into our environment and they feel relatively comfortable um, and able to express themselves in that manner. I, I, I do actually, I do care about where we end up because within our dressing room, there's a real competitive nature that want to be um, pushing towards the top end of the table. Um, and I never want to take that away from the group. It's just about me being able to detach myself from um, from the um, the very nature of our league where you can lose two or three or four. We lost five games uh, on, in a row last season, but we still managed to play the same way and, and progress and, and develop players in that manner. And you referenced the players that we can bring on on loan. You know, we have got that um, ability to bring in players from Man City or Brighton which I feel compliments our, our existing players very, very well. That was Rochdale manager Brian Barry Murphy speaking with George there. I, I must admit, George, I found that really fascinating to listen to. And I was kind of enthused by a lot of what he had to say, or, or potentially maybe the way in which he spoke to you. Like It's a bit different when we get to talk to these managers on the podcast to when we see them in post-match interviews or with the local press. And I, I really, yeah, I was kind of found that quite refreshing. Firstly, I've got a lot of time for any EFL manager that uses the phrase without wanting to sound cringy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also just like a few different things that he touched on there that I think is just worth, just worth focusing on. Like the, 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 the extent to which he was both positive and very calm in the way he spoke about what is as you said, a relegation battle at the end of the day. I found I found his outlook pretty refreshing and uh, I wonder how it was for you chatting to Brian Barry Murphy. I mean, yeah, to be honest, he could have said anything in that lovely Irish lilt and I probably would have swooned. But, um, <laughs> but, but getting into what he actually said, I mean, I was really impressed. I think whenever you and I speak to managers on this podcast, um, it's, it's amazing how often you come away from it thinking, yeah, I would like that man managing my football team and if I was a player, I'd probably like to play for him. And that was definitely the case with with Brian. Um, he's obviously a very intelligent guy. He's obviously somebody who is very much a process manager rather than somebody who is wedded to the league table consistently. And mm. that came across in a way that he even kind of, he, he corrected himself a bit. But at one point he said, you know, I don't really look at the league table before then saying, obviously it was important to stay up, not necessarily for the club or for the fans, but for his players. And that was the thing that came across most. You know, we talk about the style of football. He, I think, was quite keen to point out that was Rochdale's style rather than necessarily his philosophy. But in terms of player development, that's quite clearly where he sees the value that he can impart on the club and also the part of the job that he enjoys. Because when we spoke about Quadro Bar, when we spoke about Aaron Morley, we were on a Zoom call and his face lit up. You know, you could see that this is the part of the job that he absolutely adores. And given that Rochdale are clearly a club who 
like to invest in their own homegrown players who are happy to recruit. You know, they paid a fee for Stephen Humphreys from, from South End, who's 23 years old. They kind of have the perfect manager in charge. And, and I hope, you know, having spoken to him, I, I really hope that he gets the opportunity to continue doing the job that he's doing at League One level because there is a process here that could quite quickly, you know, he's only been there for 18 months. If they get it right and if they can move these players on for, for, for fees and invest in the structure and invest in the infrastructure, sorry, at the club, then I could see him being hot property in a couple of years. It was interesting the way he spoke about the loan players as well, not just pride in developing Dale's at own, but also the likes of, of um, Robert Sanchez, of course, who's now playing in goal for Brighton. They've got a, a young Manchester City goalkeeper, Bazunu, uh, in goal at the moment and a Brighton centre-back as well in, in Hayden Roberts. And look, those two clubs, Manchester City, obviously an elite club at the very top of English football, but Brighton as well are so active in, well, you might say um, filling their under-23 squad. Some might call it stockpiling, but they have got a good eye for a player and 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 being able to recruit those young players and give them a taste of senior football and hopefully hit upon one or two who can genuinely help your first team. It's an interesting way of going about things and there's a lot of chat about how much League One and League Two clubs especially may rely on the loan market uh, in the next few years after suffering the financial impact of COVID. Yeah, it's interesting how you bring up the, the loan philosophy at the club because when we started the Zoom call yesterday, it was during half time in the... Man City Brighton game and I made a witty quip as we often do by saying you know you're not missing anything Man City already 1-0 up so we're not going to miss anything there and he said well actually I promised Robert Sanchez that, that I'd watch the game because of course Robert Sanchez was at Rochdale last season and then there he was last night thwarting Kevin De Bruyne at every turn during the game so um, so it just goes to show the relationship that he still has with the players who've come through that they're still asking their load manager from last season to watch them in action in the Premier League. Yeah, love that. Plenty of food for thought off the back of that interview. We've got more to come on this show, though. Weekend previews, of course. But next up, some realistic transfers. We've been doing some matchmaking for you. RB Leipzig gift shop? Yeah, uh, I want to return a player. Uh, he's not working. He was supposed to help me achieve my goals, but I don't think he even knows what a goal is. Ah, yeah. Well, uh, all I can say is that he was just fine working when he was to London dispatched. Oh. Lampard and Chelsea can't seem to get their money back, but you can with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker. If one leg of your four plus fold Acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Okay, so this week we asked you for your transfer suggestions on Twitter. This is a always a busy month, isn't it? And everyone wants to improve their squad in order to achieve their goals in the second half of the season. We're blown away by your responses, so thank you so much for sending them in on Twitter. George, simple question, what position does your team need in January? And you've been answering that with a Brentford hat on for Kieran. Yeah, Kieran asks us... Uh linked with a few wide men, namely Callum Stars of Barnsley and Bright say Samuel from that lot down the road with his contract up in June. Godos not lived up to the hype yet. And I can see why I guess Brentford might want to bring a wide player in because even though they've been very good this season, there is still definitely a Saeed Benrahma hole left on the left-hand side of their attack. Godos 
as he says, hasn't necessarily impressed so far this season. Tariq Fosu has been good in snatches. He's being used kind of as a, as a versatile utility player in some <laughs> ways. And, and I guess for that reason, bringing Callum Styles in, another player who, you know, at Barnsley is more of a wing back than a winger. Um, whether he'd necessarily fit in on the left-hand side, I'm not sure. Bright say Samuel, I think, plays most of his best football out on the right-hand side, where Brian and Bomo comes in off the off the right, so I can see why Brentford fans might want to steal the the crown jewels from down the, from the lot down the road. But I think neither of those really make sense to me. Um, I think you want a player who plays on the left hand side of a three, who's happy to drift infield to allow Rico Henry to overlap. The two that I've come up with, one isn't particularly original. Ronan Curtis at Pompey. The reason it's not too original is because there were strong rumours linking Curtis to Brentford back in the summer when Ben Rama was rumoured to be leaving. Uh, that didn't materialise, but he is, I think, tailor-made to the way that this Brentford side play. I think last season it wouldn't necessarily have worked. They were more possession-heavy, uh, whereas Curtis now plays for a side in Pompey who are very, very happy to sit off, off the ball, as Brentford are now, very happy to sit in their defensive third, but still have an incredible counter-attacking style and score more goals than basically anybody else in League One. There are definitely similarities between the way that Pompey play this season com- compared to Thomas Frank's Brentford side and Curtis is both a goal threat as we saw many many times last season he plays next door to a target man of similar-ish styles I guess uh, in John Marquis to to Ivan Tony. so I think Tony would still benefit from his tireless running and his ability to bring Markers out wide as well, and and to drift he's inside. Got, he's got so Curtis- good delivery. He's got good delivery from out wide as as well, doesn't he, Curtis? So as you say, isn't it, although he's a, a goal threat from that wide position, he you could see him putting in some teasing in swinging crosses for Tony as well. I mean, I guess my question to you, thinking about Curtis, would be: We know that he at his best is a is easily a top level League One player. Would you have any concerns or qualms about him stepping up right to the very top of the Championship and an automatic promotion battle there? Not really. I think if you look at uh, Tariq Fosu last season, I would say that Curtis has done more at League One level than, than Fosu has, even though Fosu had a very good six months. I personally believe that the best that League One has to offer is good enough to play in a good championship side, especially someone like Curtis, who has every right to continue improving as well. Um, you know, we, we look at Ben Whiteman moving today from Doncaster to Preston. I, I don't think you or I have any concerns at all about his ability to fit in at a Preston side. And, you know, that's the cream of League One. So I wouldn't worry about that. And, and the other player that I want to put forward for Brentford as well is another of the cream of League One, and it's Keen Lewis Potter, uh, a 19-year-old who is developing very quickly at Hull, who again offers that threat coming inside off the left. And he'd probably be more of a work in progress, uh, more of a project, but he fits that Brentford model brilliantly. You can see him coming in there, having 12 months of of being in and out of the side, developing quickly before really making his mark in a couple of years' times, the the way that we saw Ollie Watkins do, for example. So they would be my two. Um, I'd be confident that both of those two would would be more likely, shall we say, so therefore more realistic than the two suggested than Styles or or Brighter Say Samuel. So my task in the championship was to find a striker and a defensive midfielder for Watford fan Lou. And well, up top, it's clearly something they're lacking compared to their promotion rivals. If you look at the top scorers for the top six in the championship, well, there's one standout team and it's Watford because Joao Pedro is their top scorer with five. He's been injured for the last few weeks and not involved at all. 
Stipe Peritza signed in the summer. The fans want to see more of him, but he's also picked up a few annoying little injuries. So it's been Troy Deeney, whose goals have mostly come from the penalty spot, and Andre Gray, who has really stood out for the amount of good chances that he's missed. So it's clear that a striker is what's needed. And I'm going to say Luke Jeffka. He's a very popular name at the moment in the EFL because of the rate that he is scoring for Plymouth Argyle in League One. He's the joint top scorer in that division, stepped up so well from League Two. And in the last year of EFL football, barely anyone has scored more goals than him. The reason I think Watford would be a good fit and him for Watford as well is, firstly, he plays in a front two with Argyle. And, and one thing we've said every time we've spoken about Jeffka, it's not even really a knock on him, but it's just something you can't ignore at this stage, is that he's always played up front in a two. He's, he's really dovetailed well with Ryan Hardy, especially, who allows him a bit more space in the box, who occupies defenders. And... You know, if you're a team in the championship that plays one up top, I don't think you would or should go for Jeffcott right now because you haven't seen any evidence that he could lead the line on his own. It's a different skill set needed. But he thrives on good delivery from wide areas with a foil in Hardy. And I think he could get that with Watford. Chisco looks like the type of manager that wants to play down the sides. They've got good wide players in Ken Semma, in Ismail Asar, of course, and in Zinkenagel, whose debut in the FA Cup was really eye-catching. So I'd love to see Jeffcott playing up top with a Troy Deeney, with a Peritza who can occupy defenders and thrive on just finding those spaces and finishing well. Crucially for me as well is, is the sort of player that he is, the profile in terms of his career. Not a Premier League player dropping down because they're out of favour on a high wage and potentially low motivation. I think it'd be the opposite for Jeffcott. Plenty to prove. In terms of a fee, probably three to four million quid max, maybe less, to be honest, and some add-ons as well you'd expect. For a team in receipt of parachute payments like Watford are this season and for two more, you know, they have to be in a pretty strong position financially compared to their championship rivals. So I think he would be a, um, a you know, a, a fairly low risk, but very high reward potentially signing for the Hornets. And as for a defensive midfielder to replace Etienne Capou, just go and get Ben Pearson. His contract's up in the summer you'd probably have to pay a fee. I know that Celtic are sniffing around because they can get him on a free, but there aren't many better at this level. He's in his prime, age 26. He would be so good at the base of this Watford midfield. And, you know, although you might have to pay a fee, it would be cut price with his contract up in the summer. Preston have just signed Whiteman, so I'm sure Pearson's looking to get out as soon as possible. And another player with the right sort of motivation. You know, he hasn't been... In, at Premier League level since he was a youth player with Manchester United so should be full of motivation as well those are my two suggested signings for Watford you've got another team that you've looked at in the champ yes yeah, Stoke uh, we had a few Stoke fans getting in touch asking mm -hmm. for a striker Lloyd said Stoke need a striker Clark Rabbi and Norrington along with a goal scorer re kickstarts our season I like that of a re-kickstart uh, and then <laughs> Liam Evans and then we've stalled again and now we need, we need another a one. second kickstart exactly uh, and then Liam Evans says a potential striker back up for Fletcher when he's fit first choice when he's not constrained by FFP so more than might, more than likely might need to be alone which made my task a little bit more difficult but I'm going to go back to League One and a player who's handed in a transfer request in Siriki Dembele it doesn't necessarily fit in with what we would expect from Stoke at the moment, but there's certainly been a desire, I think, to change the, the the kind of player that they've been bringing in. If you look at the attacking options at the moment of Stoke, Stephen Fletcher is the first choice striker, who's 33. Then 
the supporting acts are Lee Gregory, who's 32, and Sam Vokes, who's 31. I think most Stoke fans would be pretty happy um, if Vokes and Gregory didn't really make another appearance for the rest of the season. But I, I think it would be foolish to try and upgrade on them because they are established championship players. They haven't turned into bad players overnight. They just aren't necessarily what Stoke need at the moment. And with Rabbi coming in, with um, Alfie Doughty, supposedly, I don't know if that's been confirmed yet, coming in as well, there has been an injection of pace. And I think one of the common misconceptions about pacey players is that they don't fit into sides where often you see teams who have high levels of possession saying they're crying out for pace. But it's often the teams like Stoke who look to get the ball forward quickly with spacing behind and to, to run into both on and off the ball who really benefit. And Dembele has that in abundance. He's, he's so good at driving forward with the ball. He's got very, very tricky feet to carry it through into the into the final third. He's pretty happy to take on a shot, which I'm not necessarily saying is a, is a strength of his. Uh, and in the system that they play, generally a 4-2-3-1, I think he'd be very, very happy playing in that in that role that Nick Powell normally takes up just in behind the striker. It would probably become more of a 4-4-2 in that sense, but, but often he has been employed out wide as well, even though being a winger isn't necessarily his strongest attribute. And the reason why I think he might fit in here as well is because given he's handed in a transfer request at Posh, I would expect when a team comes in for him, he will make it very difficult for them not to let him go. So I guess a loan till the end of the season with a permanent transfer in the summer could be an option. And we saw Stoke live in one of the few games um, that we were able to attend. Um, we saw Stoke live in, at Wickham and they were pretty one-dimensional in terms of their attack. And you have to think that adding the likes of Doughty, adding the likes of, of Dembele and Rabbi would make them a very, very different proposition. And if you're in opposition defence coming up against that kind of range of, uh, of threat, especially when you've still got Fletcher, who is a very, very good striker at this level, could make them a, a better team going forward. So Siriki Dembele from Peterborough would be my suggestion for Stoke to turn their attentions to. I was surprised that you didn't mention him when you talked about Brentford and the left wing spot, but there you mm. go. You were saving him up for Stoke. Um, I'm going to drop down to League One and think of a striker for Bristol Rovers to sign on behalf of Lucy Ford, who tweeted in this request. I mean, I sometimes roll my eyes at the amount of fans of clubs who say all we need is a striker and we'll obviously get better. But it's definitely true when it comes to Bristol Rovers, who have, you know, with all due respect to Brandon Hanlon, who's a, a very lively attacking player that I like a lot, I don't think he necessarily plays the number nine role, even if he might wear the number nine on the back of his shirt. And in recent weeks, he's been paired up front with Sam Nicholson. Again, a great player, an exciting player, but probably not a number nine. So I'm looking for that type of player. Armand Nondrier sprung to mind immediately because he's on a free transfer. He left Blackpool in the summer and went to Turkey, to Altai. I can't tell you what happened there, but he's not there anymore. That's all you need to know. I guess the issue for Nondrier is he was a second top scorer in League One last season. I imagine he'll be looking at a, a decent wage and probably because of the salary cap in League One, therefore holding out for a championship club. And I'm sure that there'll be some that will be tempted to sign him because he's got those target man qualities in the championship, even if I think that might be a level too high for him. I'm not sure he's ever shown that consistency that you need to play at championship level. But, you know, one to look out for Bristol Rovers. There are reports that they've spoken to him. I also think that Tisdale 
should and will have a very close eye on Jaden Stockley's situation at Preston. He's their third choice striker. He has been getting some minutes off the bench, but he's never found his feet there. He's never looked comfortable in the championship as a goal scorer. And of course, he had a very good spell under Tisdale at Exeter. So I dare say that, you know, they, they could be in conversation to, to maybe link up again if Stockley uh, is being shown the exit door at Preston. Uh, elsewhere in League One, George, at the other end of the pitch, a centre-back for Plymouth Argyle. Yeah, and, and I had to think about this for a while when I was planning because Plymouth play three at the back and um, we do not expect that to change anytime soon under Ryan Lowe. So I was wondering, do I have to find players who play generally in a back three or can I find somebody who would suit the system in the way they play? And I went for the latter. I don't think you necessarily... I think if you're, if you're a good enough defender... You can, in turn, especially if you can play on the ball, as Ryan Lowe likes his centre-backs to do, you'll be able to adapt to this. So my first suggestion is Conor Masterson, who joined QPR last season after being released from Liverpool. He had a run in the first team towards the back end of last season. And I think QPR fans have been fairly aggrieved at how little time he has been afforded on the pitch, especially because they've been fairly poor this time around. Uh, he is a right-footed centre-back, but played on the left-hand side when he did play last season, showing a versatility. I'd probably expect him to play uh, either in the middle or on the right of their of Plymouth's back three. His long-range passing ability is phenomenal, and I love that in a centre-back. His uh, switches of play are brilliant. He is very quick off the board as well, um, capable of playing on the turn, and he has that bit of kind of technical ability that you can only really see sometimes in academy products where you can see that he's so calm on the ball uh, and he's just a player who who Mark Warburton, the QPR manager, has come out this week and said he needs to play football in League One or League Two. They're very happy to loan him out. So this is a loan rather than a permanent deal. Um, but it looks to me like a really nice fit and somebody who would improve them defensively and also fit into the style of play that Ryan Lowe likes to employ. My second choice, uh, I've chosen to, this is a permanent signing from League Two, would be Dan Happy of Leighton Orient, a left-footed man-mountain of a centre-back who is just 21 years of age, and I have no doubt that he's destined for the very top. I mean, he has every single part of his game is tailor-made to a side who like to get the ball down and play. Uh, I think he would be suited by playing in a back three on the left-hand side as well. He's one of those players where I can't really work out why he hasn't been bought yet and I think the only issue here could be that if Argyle can afford him um, then I think there'd be a queue of clubs also in for him as well but he, he's somebody who uh, fits the way that Rhino likes to play with the ball on the ground he's very comfortable on it whilst also I think would be an improvement defensively on what they've got with a high resale value as well so two defenders in Masterson and Happy who who like to do the footballing side well who are good ages uh, one would probably be alone I'd guess to start with the other one a permanent transfer. Okay, to finish us off in League Two, and this one's for Lee, Bolton Wanderers fan. And there's been a little move towards 4-2-3-1 in recent weeks from Ian Everett after going 3-5-2 for most of the season so far. And Lee wants me to find them a left winger. Now, I mean, I'm already making excuses for this, but I'm going to say Harry McCurdy, uh, who's at Port Vale, but Port Vale reportedly very happy to let him go, having joined in the summer. He was at Carlisle United last season and clearly there's been a huge personality clash with uh, John Askey who left a few weeks ago. He's out of favour at the club and available for transfer. Now, first thing to say is he has developed this reputation both at Carlisle where he fell out with the fans despite being one of their most attacking, 
you know, exciting attacking players. And now at Port Vale, clearly a growing reputation that McCurdy is developing of being tough to handle, a disruptive influence. And that's difficult for us to really comment on. I think there's a risk of just accepting that as as given and saying, well, these guys will always be like this wherever they go. So look, maybe a man management job for Ian Everett to do here. The reason I like him is because I've seen in flashes of Harry McCurdy potential ability way above League Two level. You know, there was a, a, a few a, a few performances in the FA Cup last season specifically that really caught the eye for Carlisle. He scored five goals in five FA Cup games and five in 28 league games. So he reached 10 goals in all comps for them. He's not an out-and-out winger by any means. He's he's a bit of a wannabe Jack Grealish. And I can say that because he came through at Aston Villa. He wears his socks low. He wants to dribble past opponents and he likes to draw fouls and wind players up and maybe go down quite easily at times as well. Clearly based his game on on uh, Grealish but he's one of those where I think if he could sign and if he wanted to prove that he's not too much to handle that he has got a future in professional football in the English game to have the right mentality and Ian Everett can get the best out of him he could definitely do something for this Bolton side he could provide a spark and a creativity in the final third that they are lacking uh, in the final third at the moment just playing off that left side so it's a bit of a punt I think but he's available I've seen him do very good things in League Two. He's still a young player. And with the right manager, maybe, and in the right system, I think he could elevate Bolton's potential in the second half of the season. So, Lee, I'd be interested to know what you think about that, given that, as I say, he probably would come with poor reviews from Vale fans and maybe from some Carlisle fans. But I like McCurdy a lot, and I'm going to suggest him for Bolton here. If you enjoyed the transfer content on this podcast, there is loads up on The Athletic at the moment. I can recommend the Paul Taylor and Daniel Taylor Forest recruitment piece. It is enough to really make you wince, I must say. It's called Forest Transfers, Modesto's role and the 70-player shortlist in 2019. A remarkable story about how not to recruit uh, in a football club. So, But loads of other stuff there, loads of EFL stuff that I recommend that you check out. We'll be back here next week as well for more transfer content as the players continue to move around. But there are in theory, some fixtures to look ahead to this weekend and we are going to preview them next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
Right, time to throw ourselves headlong into our weekend preview with the help of our sponsors, Paddy Power. The first game we're going to talk about is Barnsley against Swansea. This one's live on the box on Saturday evening and Paddy's basically can't pick a winner. A Barnsley 17-10 to and Swansea 8-5 to with the draw 2-1. to So it's a tantalising prospect. We're going to do things a little bit different to previous weeks. We both picked a team to focus on and we're going to mash together our research and see what we come <laughs> out with. Um, George, before I ask you about this Swansea side that you've dived headlong into, um, I just want to note that these two played each other in the league around a month ago and it was a really weird game because Swansea's pitch was horrendous. In fact, it was just before it got relayed completely and it was just it wasn't the game we expected at all. Swansea won 2-0. They managed the conditions a lot better than Barnsley. But a Swansea side that like having the ball and generally treat it well, had 45% possession, completed only 39% of their passes, which just shows the pragmatism that Steve Cooper has up his sleeve when he just needs to grind out a win. But this game, I think, will look quite different. Yeah, you'd expect most games that Swansea play in to be a bit different to that because it was so against what we're used to seeing from Steve Cooper. But that in itself, I think, is is a reason why the job he is doing is so impressive. We often talk about managers and how they have a certain way of playing and a certain style. With Swansea, I think when they have it their own way, they would still like to dominate possession and have most of the ball, but they've shown that they can do it both ways as well. And, and it's going to be an interesting clash of styles here, as I'm sure you'll mention, because Swansea, pragmatism, good defence against Barnsley, which is... Uh, maybe a slightly more hectic way of doing things. Uh, but Swansea are second in the championship. We speak so often about how it's, it's Norwich, it's Bournemouth, it's Brentford, it's maybe Watford, but Swansea are sitting right up there towards the top end of the table. And the key reason why they are there is because of their defence. They've conceded just 13 goals in 23 games. In their last nine games in all competitions, they've conceded one goal. And that was a very, very scrappy effort against Watford in a game that they ended up winning 2-1. And let's remember as well, this all comes after their star centre-back was sold to Tottenham in Joe Roden as well. If you told us that after Roden left, the defensive solidity would come, we'd have all been very surprised. And the key to this has been the back four, effectively, with Freddie Woodman in goal, Gwehi, Bennett and Kabango being the three at the back. You've got an interesting mix there of experience, of homegrown talent and of a Premier League loanee in Gwehi and it is working incredibly well. In a way, I mean, they play three at the back but their wing-backs in Connor Roberts and Jake Bidwell aren't necessarily the most attacking-minded. They are key creative forces for Swansea. They've got four assists apiece and, and top that metric. But generally, the balls come in from fairly deep. They're both capable defensively. I think they both feel more comfortable playing as fullbacks rather than wingers, which shows you the kind of players that they are. And that has been, if you could have any gripe about Swansea, it would be probably the lack of goals. I mean, they are so reliant on the front two of Andre Ayew and Jamal Lowe for their goals, who have eight apiece, but there doesn't really seem to be much creativity coming from the middle of the park. And it hasn't helped either that Morgan Gibbs-White, who is the big kind of marquee loan signing from Wolves, uh, he had a bad injury for the last few weeks of his loan spell before returning to Wolves and then starting, which, which I think surprised quite a few Swansea fans uh, with his first game back. Casey Palmer had yet another frustrating loan spell. Um, he turned up at Swansea, didn't play very much and has now gone back to Bristol City as well. I mean, there, there are lots of tidy midfield players. Uh, Grimes is a player that I, I really like in the middle of the park for Swansea. Um, Jan Dand has been tasked with having providing that creative spark for midfield in recent weeks, but it hasn't really happened for him either. So that is the area where I think Barnsley will, will look 
I, I assume to try and drive the ball into the middle of the park. Don't let them play with any width whatsoever. But it's going to be breaking Swansea down. That's going to be the difficult part here. Not many teams can do it. Uh, Swansea fans are desperate for their team to bring in a striker. They've been linked to Max Waters in the last couple of weeks of, of Crawley. I would personally say that that a creative spark in midfield, that number 10, that attacking eight would be a better area in which to look to strengthen. But in terms of this game, Barnsley, I'm sure, will come at them very, very hard. But as we see consistently with Swansea here, it's going to take... You know, you said I was going to be diving in to Swansea. I think anyone who dives into Swansea is going to get kicked back pretty quickly afterwards. So uh, it's going to be a difficult one for sure. And a game I'm, I'm not anticipating many goals. That's interesting. That's very, very interesting. I mean, you've every right to say that. I've just been working out that if Swans were to continue this current defensive record, the first half of the season conceding only 13 goals, that would be 26 over the course of 46 games. And the best defensive record in the, the modern era, if you will, certainly since 2010, was Middlesbrough, who conceded 31 in their 46 games. So they're on course to break the record for the best defence in championship modern history, which would be a hell of a thing. But I think this Barnsley side can hurt any team uh, in this division. And I always say that if you're a neutral and you need to choose a championship match to watch on the weekend, you should choose a Barnsley game. Not just because of Barnsley themselves, but the way that their games tend to play out. They're always entertaining. They're always open. Even if there aren't a ton of goals, you're likely to see an, an interesting game and a tactical game as well. They're a great side, Barnsley, but they're not without their flaws. Since Val Ishmael joined as manager, they've got the fourth best record in the championship. Just one or two points fewer than Swansea in that time so they've been one of the more impressive sides in the league the big narrative for me in this game and the thing that I'll be most interested in here I want to big up Barnsley but you can't get past the fact that where they are now in ninth position is definitely you know if you're looking to progress and if you're looking upwards which every team should be and you look at their record against the teams below them in 10th position and below nine wins three draws three defeats 30 points from 15 games that classic two points per game record brilliant doing such a good job against teams above them. Eighth and above, one win, one draw, five defeats, four points from their seven games. So that's why they've hit this ceiling as they have at the moment. That's what they need to try and improve on. The problem is, is that they're so adamant in playing a certain way, this very high intensity, high line system that the best teams have been able to pick them off almost at will. We saw Norwich, even if they didn't rack up the goals against them the other week, they were constantly finding openings in behind Barnsley's defence. Bournemouth did the same it's almost like the little brother fighting with the big brother and the big brother may be letting the little brother think that he's got a chance of winning the fight and then just picking him off <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how I would explain it and look if, if Swansea play savvy here there will be chances for Lowe and Ayu to find space on the break but Barnsley can certainly hurt them themselves and I can't wait to watch this one um, there's no doubt that they will give Swansea a bloody nose but whether they've got the nous yet in these games against the top teams to win I'm not 100% sure it's going to be a great watch live on the television 7.45 on Saturday night Barnsley Swansea our game to watch in the championship this weekend in League One it's Peterborough against MK Dons George you're going to talk about posh in just a minute, but in a similar vein, we're clearly we've clearly landed on a round of fixtures which was repeated, or the, the reverse of which was only about a month ago, which I always think is kind of interesting, especially when comparing the two sides and getting a, a view on them twice in a month. Uh, this game 
was a month ago. It was one all. Uh, Johnson Clark Harris scored in the first half. And then in the second half, MK Dons' classy midfielder, Scott Fraser, really got a hold on the game and set up Cameron Jerome for an equaliser. Uh, George, a, a pretty big difference between the two sides in the league table at the moment. Tell me all about how posh look heading into this game. Well, I watched their game against Lincoln uh, last weekend, a game they drew one all, and that was their first match since the MK Dons game that you're talking about. They had a three-week break because of COVID-related postponements, and they've only won one of their last five games. That was a 4-1 win over Rochdale. But interestingly, and I don't often like to look at EFL trophy games for various reasons, but this is one where there is significance because they beat a, a, a second string Portsmouth team 5-1 in the EFL trophy in midweek. And normally I would say, you know, Portsmouth played a poor side. It doesn't really matter. But when you look at the side that Darren Ferguson put out, I think this was a case of, right, guys, we need to get back to some form. We need some confidence here. And, and they ran, ran out 5-1 winners, five different scorers in the game. So Ricky Dembele started again, despite having handed in a transfer request. That's both games that he started for Posh since doing that. Um, I quite find it quite amusing that some of the rumours uh, coming out about um, Dembele's links to Brentford have been that Ivan Tony has supposedly recommended him to Brentford's hierarchy, <laughs> saying that he's the best player in League One. I have a feeling of all clubs in the EFL that is at least likely to be the case with Brentford, who have a very clear way of doing recruitment. And unless Ivan Tony is star striker slash chief scout, I think that's uh, <laughs> that's pretty unlikely. But, but it, I, when you look at the side they put out in this game in midweek. Dan Butler and Joe Ward, who were two of the key players, really, when Portsmouth went on a run of seven wins in eight earlier in the season. The they've been out with injuries. Two, aren't they? Yeah, the two wingbacks. They've been out for this run. They've been out over the last few weeks. They both started in midweek. So their return to the team in, in place of Cano and Burrows could be an important moment. I think there's maybe some complacency around Posh as well. I think the recent run of difficult results maybe meant they've been a bit forgotten because they're in fifth and they're just five points off second with the game in hand. They're still a major player. We've seen earlier this season as well how they can blitz teams. Their midfield three of Taylor, Brown and Smodix is still very good at this level. I think Smodix is maybe a player who's been slightly a victim of, of a real purple patch of form towards the back end of last season. He hasn't been able to continue that, but is still a good League One player. And then Johnson Clark Harris tops the, the scoring charts in League One as well at the moment, who's doing a very, very good job of replacing the irreplaceable in Ivan Tony, So uh, Posh definitely don't come into this in good form. Um, they don't really come into it in, in any form at all because they've played two games in a month since playing against an MK Don side uh, who have a habit this season, as I'm sure you'll tell us, of doing okay against the better teams in the league. I, I'm still fairly positive about Peterborough this season. Uh, I still think they're one of the best teams in the league. And I think with, with key players coming back, key players who aren't necessarily seen as key players. I know a lot of, uh, a lot of Posh fans, particularly with Butler, uh, don't necessarily think that the Burrows is a is a is a is a step down on him, but I I think they're they're set to improve, and I think this is going to be a very difficult game for the Dons, and that is reflected in the prices with Paddy Power as well with Peterborough the twenty three to twenty favourites, MK Dons twenty three to ten, the draw nine to four. But Ali, you and I have interviewed Russell Martin, the MK Dons manager on this podcast. We've spoken at length at how we're fans of the process going on at Stadium MK. How are you feeling about them at the moment? 
That word process is being used a lot at MK Dons at the moment as part of a wider phrase, trust the process, because that's what the fans needed to do. At the time, we were talking to Russell Martin on this show and he was explaining the quite extreme style of play, like high possession, um, uh, high, high ball retention at the back of the pitch, short passing out of the back, even including the goalkeeper who was joining the back line at times. Um, and it wasn't necessarily translating into short-term results, but... The tide has been slowly turning. MK Dons have lost only four of their last 19 in all competitions. They won their last two games handily in the league against Swindon and Bristol Rovers. And they are certainly moving themselves away from any sort of relegation uh, battle. Trusting the process is starting to be proven to be the right thing to have done. And at the top end of the pitch, Cameron Jerome has been brilliant. Uh, and I think it's important to say that because I certainly thought when I saw Cameron Jerome signing for MK Dons that, well, we've seen this sort of thing before, a player who's had a long career at the at the highest level, really, or certainly a higher level than this, potentially dropping down for one last payday and maybe lacking in motivation. That has not been the case at all with Cameron Jerome. Russell Martin, a former teammate of him at Norwich, getting the best out of him. And he's leading the line brilliantly at the moment for MK Dons. They lost his foil, Carlton Morris, who was um, recalled by Norwich and then sold permanently to Barnsley. But some interesting signings this week for MK Dons. On a free transfer from Chelsea, a player in Charlie Brown, who, unlike his cartoon namesake, doesn't lack confidence and will snoop around the final third looking for chances. He's an interesting option because... I mean, look, he's won everything with Chelsea youth teams and he was prolific for Chelsea youth teams. But of course, Chelsea youth team strikers tend to be fairly prolific and it's not a guarantee of success in senior football. But I think he's got a really high ceiling and I think this is a great place for him to land. Playing off Cameron Jerome, if that's where Russell Martin sees him playing, I think that he'll enjoy finding pockets of space and he's clearly got a brilliant left foot and can be a goal threat from the edge of the box. They've also, and this might be more intriguing for me, signed Ethan Laird on loan from Manchester United. Now, one youth football expert called Connor Rowden that we follow on Twitter said that Ethan Laird has as high a ceiling as pretty much any fullback in the country. And when you bear in mind how deep England's fullback uh, strength <laughs> is at the moment, even just 23 and under. Um, it, it's quite the uh, it's quite the statement that, and I know that there's high hopes for him within Manchester United. And MK Dons is a great place to be a fullback because they do play three at the back with wingbacks. And if you're a wingback in this team, you're pretty much playing as a winger. Now, the last thing to say about Laird is he does not lack confidence. Just check out how he described himself as a player in his first interview. Excitement. I want to be that player who, when he gets the ball, it's like, what's he going to do next? Um, obviously, I need to focus on my defending and whatnot, but I know when I get the ball, it should be fireworks. <laughs> so, yeah, they're in good form. They're playing good football. Some exciting new signings. I think it's a really exciting time to be an MK Dons fan. And I know you believe this as well, that we think they're the best team currently in the bottom half of League One possibly the most likely team in League One to rise up from here on to the end of the season. It might be that the playoffs is too far. There are so many good teams in League One uh, and it might be uh, you know one step too far for them. But certainly we will get a good idea based on this game. If they can match Posh in the way they did a, uh, a month ago, if they can maybe get a, an away win, which of course would be a surprise away win. Paddy Power have them as the outsiders. I think people will really start to sit up and take notice. I think given both teams play a similar formation, it might 
might be that the middle of the pitch is very congested here. It could be quite a low-scoring encounter. But the one thing they couldn't do last time they played was keep Johnson Clark Harris at bay. It was a standard ball out from out wide into the box that they didn't defend well. That's what they need to do to keep Posh quiet. And I think MK Dons could have a pretty good chance of springing an upset here. Right, George, to finish us off in League Two, the game that I am framing as the form team versus the top team. Yeah, this is the best game, in my opinion, in the EFL this weekend. Ooh. Mansfield hosting Carlisle. Mansfield are the 13 to 8, just about outsiders. Carlisle, the table toppers are 6 to 4, and the draw is 23 to 10 with Paddy Power. And I am going to be talking to you about Nigel Clough's Mansfield. <laughs> and Ali, in 2020, I invited you to two of my stag parties, and both of them were sadly <laughs> postponed due to coronavirus. They'll be taking place this year in 2021, which is just about right, because 2021 is the year of the stag. And I'm going to invite you on another stag party hosted by Nigel Clough, because Mansfield are running riot. Four league wins on the trot. I mean, when I made my notes for this, it was before the Oldham game, which happened last night. Since that game finished, I've basically been asleep. Uh, but I've updated them in order to compensate for that 3-2 victory. They've scored 12 goals in these four league games. And, and before... You know, sometimes we can see purple patches of form and you have a look and you dig into them and they don't look sustainable, but that's not the case here. Mansfield have just been the best side in League Two over the last four or five games. We have a look at the data, the underlying numbers, the XG ratio, which is the expected goals for per game compared to the expected goals away. So you work out what level of, of good chances each team is getting on a game-by-game -game basis. And before last night, because the, the data hasn't updated, Mansfield's XG ratio was 76.22%. Not only is that easily the top of, of League Two, but it's also just an incredible level, which if they maintain, they will just surge up the table so quickly. To compare that for those who, who are new to this kind of thing, over the course of the season, the top teams in the Premier League Championship, League One and League Two, Man City are 64%, Brentford 66%, Sunderland and Hull 63%, and then Carlisle are 66%. So they are far outshooting even those teams. Obviously, this can't necessarily continue, but it just shows that this isn't just a case of a run of good wins. This is Nigel Clough coming in and completely changing the way this team are playing and their performances on the pitch. And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be surprised because we know that this is a squad which is, has a lot invested in it, that has players who we would expect to be playing at the top end of League Two. Just in terms of their attacking output against Salford and Port Vale, they had 22 shots in both games. Last night, they had 16 against Oldham. And looking at the uh, what he has done, a key part of this seems to be the players that he is improving. Jordan Barry is, is turning into a really good striker for them. Jamie Reid, who was signed from Torquay in the summer, having scored 57 goals in 91 <laughs> games for them, really struggled for form under Graham Coughlin, but Nigel Clough has invested his faith in him, starting him for all of the last four games. And he got his reward with his first league goal last night. So I know, Ali, you've got a bit of a story about Reid. <laughs> yeah, it's not to do with football, but this is what happens when you follow too many EFL players on Instagram. Uh, Jamie Reid uh, has a lovely girlfriend and his girlfriend's sister goes out with Ollie Watkins. So nice. you know, there's been no no marriages taking place, but in terms of uh, <laughs> in terms of relationships, they're kind of like brothers-in-law. So if he needs tips from a Premier League striker, then he's got them on speed dial, and and well, maybe his recent form shows that Watkins has been passing on some of those tips. 
Maybe. Maybe that's I it rather than Nigel Clough with Tolly Watkins. I guarantee you that wasn't what you were expecting me to say. It there. wasn't. It wasn't. I was <laughs> going to make another stag party joke when you said there weren't any weddings yet, but I think I'll leave it. Um, I asked Sam Binch, who is a Mansfield fan who runs a Twitter account called MTFC Musings, just for his thoughts on what has happened, because you don't often see shifts like this in terms of, of, of performances after such a disappointing couple of years. And and Sam says that the majority of this is a switch in formation. Moving to a 4-3-3 with Barry on the left-hand side uh, has been very important to them. Uh, they've they've changed to Barry on the left and uh, Charles Lee on the right. And since then, the form has been played 8-1-4, drawn three and lost one. They did change it up last night with Andy Cook coming into the team and playing through the middle, which meant that Jamie Reid played on the right-hand side and Charles Lee in midfield. But it seems like the shift of formation has been crucial. And George Maris has been one of the, well, has been the unsung hero in this change of form, playing in a holding midfield role. Uh, and since he's moved into that position there, Form. They haven't lost a game in the seven games that he's done that. I saw somebody tweeting yesterday, Ali, calling him George Maris Lele, which I don't think quite works. But certainly a player who we thought would make a difference at Mansfield. He's come into the side and initially it hasn't worked too well, but a shift again from Clough has him playing well. So I am just incredibly excited about this Mansfield team. I don't think a playoff push in any way is off the cards the way they're playing at the moment. But as you're about to tell us, they are coming up against a side who've been doing this for more than just a few games. Well, that's the thing. This this is a game where we will learn a lot about Mansfield, a lot about how good they actually are. You know, you quoted the the underlying numbers at me from the last few games and that puts them towards the, the highest performing teams in League Two. Well, they're about to come up against the highest performing team in League Two over the whole season so far, the team that have sustained that high level of play. And they are going to be have they are going to have to be bang at it from the first minute because that's what Carlisle demand of you. They play such an intense, high octane style of play, beach ball, as we call it, under Chris Beach. And Mansfield, who, as you mentioned, played on Wednesday night, they won't be able to demonstrate any sort of fatigue or be slow to get going because they will find themselves behind if that's the case. Now, I don't reckon there's a team in the EFL whose fans are happier, more content as football fans right now than Carlisle United. I don't think there can be really because, you know, of course there are plenty of teams at the top of the the three leagues, but... In terms of pre-season expectations, I think Carlisle might be out shooting any side in the EFL. An entertaining style of play, a manager and players to be proud of. Everything is going well at the moment and I'm sort of wondering when it will end and I think it's sustainable. We both think that Carlisle will finish this season being promoted from League Two. Whether that's as champions or not, there's a lot of football still to be played. But for a team that finished 18th in League Two when the league stopped last season, which followed 11th and 10th placed finishes, there was no necessary, there wasn't like a big indication that this improvement was on the cards. Then Chris Beach started working his magic, and here they are atop the League Two table. And just been a consistent accumulation of points and wins since the start of the season. There's never been an extended run of poor performances and results. I think, you know, they, they haven't gone more than two games without a win all season. And it's, a, it's the culmination in good man management from Chris Beach, getting the most out of a lot of players, who, many of whom have bounced around this level previously and not performed at this level. That's because he's got a style of play that suits those players and suits the, the team as a whole and recruited for that system and has added some brilliant additions this summer. Coyote on loan from Rotherham is having a brilliant season up front. Uh, Omari Patrick 
who he's he's a classic example of someone who's flattered to deceive. He's looked good in flashes, but never consistently. And now he looks like one of the most sort of dangerous attacking players in the division. There are stars all over the pitch, really. As we've said before, they're, they're, they're a team that's greater than the sum of their parts. So you could either say they've got a lot of star players, or you could look at it as they don't have one star, and that's kind of their strength. Away from home, and obviously they're travelling to Mansfield this weekend, the games have been very low margin. They've played 11, they've only scored 9, and they've only conceded 9. So they're not quite as gung-ho away from home as they are at Brunton Park. But yeah, for me, the onus is on Mansfield here. I think Carlisle would come into this the fresher side, the, the side with a bit of swagger about them and plenty of confidence. Of course, Mansfield have got that as well. So yeah, it's kind of irresistible force meets immovable object in League Two this weekend, and I cannot wait for it. That's it for the Totally Football League show extra time this week. Hopefully you're feeling prepared and armed with knowledge to head into the weekend. Thank you very much to Rochdale manager Brian Barry Murphy for speaking with us and thank you for listening. Matt and Co will be back on Monday and we'll speak to you again soon. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places, or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.